Vandana Shiva is a force of nature who has been described as a rock star of the international sustainable food movement. She has spent more than 40 years fighting for a more sustainable agricultural system in defence and celebration of biodiversity and indigenous knowledge. In episode 46, we brought you a short extract from her talk at the Farming the Future event organised by the Roddick and A-Team Foundations. But we wanted to bring you more from this talk that blew us away. She makes a powerful case for an agroecological approach to farming and to environmental movements, from the health benefits of healthy soil and good food, to the social impact of modern farming, and how food growing can forge strong roots for derived democracy. She certainly has convinced me that we all need to be putting our hands to the soil as much as we can. Her background is in physics, which she studied in Punjab. We join her talk as she describes the violence that continues in the region following the introduction of chemical farming. The land where I had done my MSc honours in physics, which was the most prosperous part of India, Punjab, was erupting in violence. And the sacred shrine, the Golden Temple, were, the army was sent and the desacralization led to all kinds of issues. 30,000 people died in that period. But it's not that it's over, because that's where the first experiment on chemical farming in the Third World was started, under the name of the Green Revolution, and uh, in the mid-60s. In Punjab today, the suicide rate is very high. There's a canal where bodies are dug up every day. Every third young man in Punjab is today a drug addict, a problem we see everywhere in the world, addiction in rural areas and farming families, and suicides, Indian suicides, 300,000. But it's not unique to India. Farmer suicides are much higher than normal suicides in the US, in Australia, in France, in the UK, but it's a silent issue that no one talks about. But that same year, pesticide plant leaked in the city of Bhopal, kicked 7,000 people. The burials were mountains of dead bodies. And that shook me up. And I, I told the United Nations University, for whom I was doing some work on conflicts over resources, I said, something's going on on conflicts here, and I want to understand. I said, this conflict is a conflict between uh, seeing the earth in nonviolent ways and deploying on the earth in the name of agriculture and increasing food production weapons of war. Every chemical that is used in agriculture today has come out of war, down to the nitrogen fertilizers, which were made with the same techniques that made explosives. That's why they make nitrogen bombs so easily. Every pesticide, a descendant of the gases that were used in the concentration camps. The women of Bhopal say Bhopal was made a gas chamber. Everywhere I travel in the world where the pesticide issue is killing people, saying we've been turned into gas chambers, we have been killed. 200,000 people, every year dying just of direct poisoning, millions more with the impact. So I did this book called The Violence of the Green Revolution, which I think Zed has republished in this country. But what I've learned since then are two simple principles which in a way are in our ancient learning, in all cultures. First, that the currency of life is food. 
what moves through the web of life to nourish life? It's food and nutrition. And when we poison the food web, the highest dharma is the growing and giving of good food. And the highest adharma is getting lazy in agriculture and serving bad food or letting people go hungry. I mean, that's all we have to do. Turn the growing of good food into our sacred duty of being alive on this beautiful earth. And, and that's why we all have to become farmers. Maybe we're just a balcony. When Greece collapsed after 2008, we were there to launch the seed movement and seed freedom movement. And uh, there was this young man, he said, but what can I do? Our jobs have gone, our pensions have gone, there's nothing. I said, you have a balcony? Yeah. I said, grow food. He met me later, two years later, he said, I feed my entire street. So we've got, you know, we've been made so deeply to think that money is the currency of life. But money is not the currency of life. It is no currency at all. It is just a medium of exchange. You know, if you look at your notes, it says, I promise to pay the bearer. It's a pure promise, nothing more. We've turned it into not just an end, we've turned it into the measure of our humanity. We've turned it into the new God. The metric of the yield was designed to reduce farming to the production of commodities. And all you measure in yield per acre is the commodity that leaves the farm. Not the state of the farm, not the quality of the food. It's nutritionally empty, toxic commodities that are floating in huge quantity around the world. 90% of the corn and soy are going for biofuel and animal feed, not even to feed people. And that's why the more commodities you have, the more hunger you have. Half of the hungry of the world, half of the one billion hungry are farmers. Half. So our food producers have been turned into the hungry when they have this amazing role to play, to care for the earth. We decided for India to look at all the costs that go into the chemical agriculture system, including the social costs of indebted farmers and farmer suicides, the environmental costs, the soil, the death of animals, the death of bees, the disappearance of water. So we worked out just social and ecological $1.3 trillion annually which is bigger than our GDP, the destruction. And then if you add the health damages, which we haven't done for India, but we have a new manifesto, Food for Health, and we've got a summary of it. So neurological, neurodegenerative diseases, 2.4 trillion annual costs. Autism, 171 trillion. Um, birth defects, 22.9. Obesity, 1.2. Cancer, 2.5. Diabetes, 2.5 trillion. Endocrine disruption for 549 billion, infertility 9.6 million, and antibiotic resistance 1 trillion. Good farming has to be defined as a health sector. It's health provisioning. And not only is it health provisioning for human beings, it's health provisioning for animals, for plants, and it's health provisioning for the planet. Because I see climate change as nothing more than the metabolic disorder of the planet. 
all because of the huge emissions. And there's a focus only on emissions from energy and the energy sector. But 50% emissions, greenhouse gas emissions, come from the industrial food system. The production, the fertilizers, the land use change, growing soya bean in the Amazon, chopping down forests, transport, packaging, food miles, and food waste because the system designed to waste food. Add it all up, it's 50%. And yet, if you work with the earth, we can repair the broken carbon cycle, we can repair the broken nitrogen cycle, which is actually 300 times more deadly in terms of emissions. Nitrous oxide is 300 times more damaging to the environment than carbon dioxide is. We can repair these cycles and heal the soil and grow more food. And I think this is the element that this community can bring to two movements that are <coughs> very big and growing in this country. The first is Extinction Rebellion. They definitely need to see, yes, do the rebellion, but do the solution, grow the solution. And it's in our hands. The beauty of it, in Paris, we planted a garden, and we said governments might fail. They could have failed. The governments can fail, but we cannot fail the earth. So we made a pact with the earth and planted a garden. And Extinction Rebellion is only looking at governments and what they can do. But this movement begins with what we can do in our communities and our particular places. Not forgetting the duty of government and not forgetting to put pressure there, but as a derived activity of democracy, not at the heart of democracy. And I have learned in all of these years that the place to begin sowing the seeds of earth democracy is with food, is with a living seed. There's no other place. I can set up a windmill, but I'm just setting up a windmill. I'm not repairing a broken ecosystem. I can reduce emissions by not having more, but I can pull, not, cannot pull down the stalks. Only the living earth and our working with the living earth gives us the option of removing the past damage. Soil with organic matter, and in our farms, and in our members' farms, organic matter has gone up by 99%, whereas in the chemical farms in our valley, it's gone down by 14%. This is a 20-year study the top soil ecologist of India did. In nitrogen, it's gone down 22% in chemical farms. It's gone up 100% in the organic farms. But zinc, which is a big deficiency and responsible for depression, 37% decline in chemical farms, 14% increase in organic farms. Nobody's putting zinc into the soil. The soil organisms are creating these micronutrients and trace elements. That's why feeding the soil is our first duty. First the soil, and then the family that's growing the food, which is how we'll end hunger in agriculture. Then your local community, which is where the gift of food has to come back. And then high value products, but low volume things sold long distance. So trade right now has become, everything you eat has to come from far away. Lots of toxics, you don't know what you're eating. And if you want to know what you're eating, there'll be one trade dispute to trash you. Mm -hmm. 
And now with Brexit, the US is just looking at England as the dumping ground of all the worst food and the dismantling of the food and health and safety standards of this country. It's going to be a very important time for the food and farming movement. Biodiversity is the only way you can control pests without pesticides. The only way you can control weeds without herbicides. And it's the only way pollinators get food because we forget the seed we sow when it becomes a flower, is food for the bees. And the bee pollinates, fertilizes the flower, which becomes the fruit. Look at the economy. That's the economies we have to build. Where the bee gets honey and the flower gets fertility, and neither became less. Because this Cartesian way of thinking mechanically is, if you have more, I have less which has also created the illusion of cheap. First, that there has to be cheap food to feed the hungry. That food is not cheap. If you take all those costs to the planet, to the farmers, to our health into account, it's too costly for us to continue to produce. And that's why internalizing these externalities becomes a very important part of it. So it's not cheap. And I think while we address the ecological apartheid which has separated us from the earth, we need to address the nutritional apartheid has, that has brought a crazy situation where if food is the currency of our life and the tiniest of bees and the tiniest of babies should be having good food, we have created an assumption <coughs> that the poor can be deprived. That being poor can pull you out of the cycle of life where food is the nourishment. So, and the two apartheids go together, the two separations go together. The only way we'll be able to bring the right to, of all to good food is through the right of all people to grow good food. I've reached the stage where I say the most important thing the earth is asking us to do is put our hands, our heads, and our hearts to her service. Mm. And that's agriculture. So we need these hands. And, and the reason I think Colin, like me, questions so much the mechanical mindset, the old paradigm of thinking, which grew with the fossil fuel age and with industrial agriculture being one element of it, is the idea that human hands are useless. And if they're not useless, they must be made to look terribly dangerous. All food safety is... <laughs> Hands touched it. Yeah? I mean, in India, we have big things of women's food systems. Huh? Women cook with hand. You know, we say handmade is our new subversive label. <laughs> Bring the hands back. You know? um, and that's why the only way to reduce fossil carbon is to increase living carbon and increase the human capacity to work. We've forgotten, you know, the definition of energy is the capacity to work. That the ultimate energy we have is our capacity to work. And especially when you think of the fact that with artificial intelligence, people like Zuckerberg are talking about 99% human beings being useless. I think we need to do two things. First is unleash all the intelligences, all the intelligences of 
the amazing planet, all her living systems. Won't you just share with you this one simple thing? I mean, the neurological activity going on in our gut with food is much bigger than the neurological activity going on in this brain up here. That's why it's called the second brain now. The gut is being called the second brain. But in the root of the plant, just in one plant, one plant, 13 million rootlets, all combined with the root hairs, 6,000 miles. One plant. Each little rootlet is functioning with exchange. It has a cerebral cortex with larger root systems, brain neurons, 14 billion. One plant has as much activity going on. And we define them as vegetables and said they are dead. And I think the big revolution for food and farming, I mean, J.C. Bose, our physicist, had done amazing work on plants as living systems. I think the intelligence of plants, the intelligence of soil organisms, the intelligence of the earth as a whole, the intelligence of animals, including this animal, which has lost its animal intelligence in the seeking of permission of mechanical intelligence. And now we are being told, sorry, you're throwaway people. So we need a whole new hope for young people by getting rid of the hierarchies of work. That farming is the past, software is the future, and the next future is disposability. No, farming is the highest vocation. Cultivating food is the highest thing you can do. And Gandhi had a very beautiful, when people said, how do you think small changes can make a difference? He says, I'm not saying we'll stay small, but we'll spread out, not scale up, but scale out. And the way he described it is ever expanding, never ascending oceanic circles, mm. of which each of us is a part. But each of us is a center. Each seed is a center of the farming system. But nothing is oppressing it as a pyramid. Each of them is spreading life in collaboration, in amazing cooperation with an inner intelligence. The last idea that's coming to me is, you know, all of living systems are based on self-organization. It's being called autopoiesis, organizing from within. Free societies are organized from within. Gandhi talked about self-rule. All control systems are organized externally. Earlier it was chemicals as external inputs, but now it's knowledge will be external input. Data will be external input. You'll have to borrow more and more and more. You have to live in perpetual debt to stay alive. If you look at the debt creating, someone gave the figure in one of our groups, two pounds for the children, one pound goes for water, and one pound for food. How could we come to this situation in, in what was the heart of the big empire? So we talked about decolonizing England. <laughs> and we have one, you know, we have a beautiful link, and we should talk about this. Albert Howard, who was sent to India in 1905, he was brought to industrialize India's farming. He brought back organic farming to this country. We've got to do a little bit more of that. <laughs> over, over all of these years, to learn from the earth, to learn from nature, to learn from our farmers and our peasants, to learn how to cultivate community both as earth community but as human communities, because we've lost the capacity, fossil fuels just ruptured our relationships. We built an earth university. 
And I think one thing we could serve and be happy to serve is if you want young farmers trained for a quick transition and, you know, instead of thinking of how many farmers are going out, let us make a 10-year plan. And in the 10-year plan is poison-free food and farming, fossil fuel-free systems, a 10-year plan of get the public money out of subsidizing the wrong thing into supporting the right thing, because right action doesn't need subsidy, it needs support. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. finally, cultivating young farmers, growing young farmers, and Earth University is always there for that service. Thank you. This episode was edited by me, Susie McCarthy, for Farmerama. Thanks for listening. <laughs>